Thessalonians chapter 1. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. And yes, thank you, Brother Dennis. I was going to ask you to dim those lights a little bit just so we can see that overhead better. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, as we dive into this new book, I'd like to just give a brief uh, idea of what the theme is so we can keep that in mind as we go through these things. But let's open up with a word of prayer first, okay? Lord, we need your help this morning, and I pray that you would help us, Lord, to really grasp the message of this epistle and to make it personal as these people were making it personal in their day. We thank you that the word of God liveth and abideth forever and that in any dispensation, uh, Lord, your word holds true and is applicable to us in some way, form, or fashion. We thank you for the commands and the principles we find here, and I pray that they would make us uh, better Christians, that we might live more for you. Uh, we thank you for your goodness. I pray for your help and wisdom this morning uh, to teach these truths. In Jesus' name, amen. So if I could summarize the book of Thessalonians, Second Thessalonians, I think I would say something like this. Do not be discouraged or dissuaded by troubles or an improper view of end time events but instead trust in the Lord believe his word and do good and that's probably a little longer than most people would uh, make the summary of a book but uh, that really does cover all of the main topics that we find in second Thessalonians so as we go through these lessons that main message will be with us really in, in any uh, passage that we're in in any lesson that we're in anything we're looking at uh, the first chapter that we're in here is going to deal with the main message for us, the proposition, if you would, is God is always just. Now, this morning, we'll look at the fact that God is always just toward his children. And then next week, Lord willing, if he doesn't come back suddenly before then, we will look at the fact that God is always just toward those who are not his children. So in either sense, God is always just, and that's the main uh, proposition for you and me this morning, and hopefully everything we look at will simply reinforce that main idea that God is always just. So let's read verses 1 through 5, and then we'll come back and make comment. Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus, unto the church of the Thessalonians, in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is meet, because that your faith groweth exceedingly, and the charity of every one of you all toward each other aboundeth, so that we ourselves glory in you, in the churches of God, for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that ye endure, which is a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God, that ye may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God, for which he also suffer. And so first of all, we see that under God's watchful care, the Thessalonians were growing. That is the theme that we're shooting for today. God is always just toward his children. And this is our first point. Under God's watchful care, the Thessalonians were growing. Uh, I will try not to steal his thunder or get into something that Brian will talk about, but he did ask the question last week, and he said we'll look at it in more detail. Will a church grow spiritually? Uh, well, to answer that question, first we have to know, does God want you and I to grow spiritually? Well, of course he does. And we find the answer to that in 2 Peter chapter 3, 2 Peter chapter 3, and also chapter 1. Let's start with chapter 1 of 2 Peter 
chapter 1, verse 5. A familiar passage to all of us. And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. Paul says, you know, we are bound to thank God that your faith groweth. And not only is it growing, but it's growing exceedingly. God wants our faith to grow. He wants you and me to grow as believers. Not only does he want us to be grateful for our salvation, yes, that should always be with us, but it's not leaving, not not, uh, remaining in the satisfaction of those things, as Paul warns in Hebrews chapter 5. Not laying again dead foundations of, of things we've already talked about, repentance from dead works, and uh, repentance toward God and, and of doctrines of baptisms, but moving on. God wants you and I to do that. Giving all diligence. This is a, uh, this is a very desperate thing. God desperately wants you and me to grow. Add to my faith virtue, moral excellence. And then to that, knowledge. Yes, knowledge apart from love does puff up, as uh, 1 Corinthians tells us. But without knowledge, I can't act upon things I do not know, Right? And the Bible tells us to come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ and to grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ, as we'll see here in a moment. And so it is important. Uh, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. And so knowledge of what God says is vital. Grow in that. And then add to that self-discipline, temperance. Learning temperance of body, temperance of spirit. Lord, I have weaned myself. As a child that is weaned of a mother, I've behaved and quieted myself. David said. David learned temperance of spirit and temperance of soul. And he learned not to get riled up and excited and and pushed over the edge by life's events and troubles and pressures. And to patience, and to temperance patience, that long forbearance, carrying a load over a long period of time without complaint is the idea wrapped up in that word. And then to patience, godliness, godlike behavior, the things that please the spirit, as we let the spirit of Christ live more through us every single day, putting to death the things that Chris wants and allowing the things that Jesus wants to prevail. And then to godliness, brotherly kindness, that familial affection. And this isn't talking just about toward fellow believers, but toward all people. And then to brotherly kindness, that self-abasing, selfless, uh, love that that sacrificial love that Jesus shows you and me. I'll look at First Second Peter chapter three, and the last verse, a verse we all know well. The Bible gives us another command. Simple. I like simple commands. But grow in grace, and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be glory, both now and forever. Amen. And through the pressures and the troubles the Thessalonians were going through, God was growing them because he wants that to happen. Now to briefly answer Brian's question as I thought about that this week in preparing this lesson, will we grow as a church spiritually? Yes, with a caveat. We know God wants us to grow. We know God enables us to grow. We know it is in God's heart that we do grow. There's no question about that. But what will keep me from a Christ, as a Christian from growing? How I respond to his word. How I respond to his work in my life. How I respond to the pressures. The Thessalonians responded favorably to the pressures God had allowed. And so he was growing their faith exceedingly and growing their patience and growing their love. But what if they had responded with bitterness 
anger, resentment, rebellion? What if they had responded by a lack of faith and saying, I know more than God knows he shouldn't be doing this? They wouldn't have grown like they did. And so, yes, as a church, we will grow spiritually only if we personally apply what we are reading on a daily basis and make it a reality in our lives. And instead of trying to conform the Bible to what we are doing, conform ourselves to what the Bible says we should be doing. And I'll leave that alone because I'm sure he'll talk more about that. So, yes, God desires for us to grow spiritually. The Thessalonians, you see, through these pressures and these outward uh, ordeals they were dealing with, mainly religious persecutions, God in his mercy was teaching them to trust less and less in the things of this world and more and more in the things of eternity. And what we often fail to realize is that the pressures God lets into my life and yours, they do just that. They tend to make me realize this world has no ability to help me. How many of us has come to a new realization of that in this past year? That this world, this country, this government, everything, nothing about this world has the ability to deliver me, right? How amazing things can change overnight. A secure job can suddenly become an insecure job. Think about the stock market. You're up here one minute, you're down here in the next minute. I think of that old TV show, The, the Adams Family, and he was always dabbling in the stock market, and he would, oh, I just made a million dollars. And he'd be like, I just lost a million dollars. You know, that's right. That's how, it, that's how it works. It's up here and it's down here. And through pressure, God makes that more of a reality to us and puts our focus more on him than anything else. You know, as the Thessalonians grew closer to the Lord through all these pressures, they could look back, could they not, and draw strength from all the things that they had gone through and all the things that they had seen God deliver them from, just like David, just like Jeremiah. Think about David with me for a minute. He's anointed king, but then he's made armor bearer to Saul. He is then persecuted by Saul. He is accused by Saul. He is chased from Saul, hunted by Saul. For many years, he cannot even worship in the temple. He said, they have driven me out from thy presence and said, go and worship other gods, though he did not. That was what they were encouraging him to do. He joined himself to, the, to many different people trying to find security. He joined himself to Moab where he left his family. He then joined himself later to the Philistines and God in his mercy 18 months later delivered him from all of that. And so finally David goes into the kingdom. He obtains the kingdom, but he only obtains half of it. He gets the other half of the kingdom. He makes a sin with Bathsheba. He kills Uriah. He then sees the downfall of four of his family members. And at the end of his life, toward his old age, David writes in Psalm 37, I have been young and now I'm old. Yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. And so we like, if we will learn from the pressures that God lets into our lives, we can have that kind of attitude. What about Jeremiah? Prophet who basically was told, go and your ministry is going to be a failure in the eyes of men. But you're going to go and you're going to tell them. You're going to pluck down, you're going to pull down, you're going to destroy so that we can build and we can plant things that are right and good. And so here's Jeremiah cast out by his brethren at Anatot and persecuted by his own family. His murder plot plotted many, many times. He's thrown into prison. He's thrown into the stocks. He's kicked out of the temple. He finally sees uh, the city Jerusalem fall. And then he goes through the aftermath of the horrors of war, the starvation, and the women eating their own children in the streets and sodding their own children in the water. And he sees people beaten and starved and killed. And through all of that, yet in Lamentations 3.26, what does he say? It is good that a man should both hope and quietly wait 
for the salvation of Yehovah. And so we, if we will learn from the pressures, just like the Thessalonians, whose faith was growing exceedingly, and we can say with people like David and like Jeremiah, you know, no matter what comes, God is good. God is a deliverer. And he's just, and he'll always do just what I need in my life. How I respond to that determines the benefit I receive from it, right? Determines the benefit I receive from it. So through these pressures, God was growing them, and the increase of their charity was a manifestation of their biblical faith. God was growing their love. Paul says, your faith groweth exceedingly, and the charity of every one of you all toward each other aboundeth. Turn with me to Romans chapter 5, if you would. I want us to see how pressures, troubles, persecutions work out for our ultimate good and for the ultimate glory of God. Romans chapter 5. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And we, we view that in the mainly in the terms of salvation when we read it, and that is correct. I would say that is the primary application, but understand that it doesn't end there. You know, we can be out of peace with God as believers, can we not? And the way that that will happen is when we're not faithfully trusting in his ability and in his plan for our life. But if we'll return to that foundation, that principle of those who have faith in God will have peace with him, then as Christians, we can walk in fellowship with him, though our relationship can never be destroyed. Uh, Chapter 5, verse 2, But whom also, by whom also, we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also. Well, there's a statement that's diametrically opposed to the world, right? We glory in trouble. We glory in... uh, uh, blessed are ye when all men shall speak evil of you and shall cast you out as evil. And shall cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Rejoice in that day and be exceeding glad for great is your reward in heaven. What an odd thing uh, to say in the world's eyes. We joy in tribulations. Uh, the world's looking for peace. It's looking for comfort. It's looking for every day to be undisturbed and uh, physically profitable and successful. But Paul says just the opposite. Now, why is that? Because knowing that tribulation, pressure, trouble, worketh patience. Okay, there's a principle. As I go through tribulations, God works on my patience. I haven't much patience. Well, nobody really does. It's a gift of the Spirit. He's something he teaches you over time. And so he begins to break you a little bit through these tribulations. And just like a muscle that has worked, uh, it comes and it heals and it's made stronger. God's doing the same thing to our Christian character. He's teaching us how to carry a heavy load over a long period of time. You don't pick up two 70-pound dumbbells and do a farmer's walk from here to the other end of Corvallis the first time you do a workout, right? It takes time to be able to do something like that. You have to build up to it. And so through tribulations and trouble, God teaches us patience, how to carry that heavy load. And as we go through one trouble at a time, it also worketh, understood worketh, experience. Okay, now I can look back and say, wow, I remember when God was faithful back here, And so it intends to encourage us because we know that if he was faithful there, he'll be faithful here. Not that we have to have that experience because we have his word, but certainly it's a merciful thing to God from God to give us the benefit of experience, is it not? And then that in turn works hope because we say, okay, I feel like losing it and I feel like crying. I feel like throwing a fit or a tantrum, 
But I'm not going to because I remember the last two times I did that, it didn't help. God was still faithful. And I think I'm going to try something different this time. And I'm going to remain faithful to him, look to him, and try to have a good attitude because I remember that he's doing something here. And this isn't the last time this is going to happen. And then where does that come? Well, it comes around full circle. And hope maketh not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which worketh, which is given unto us. So hope won't leave you and I disappointed. And through all of these things, our love for God and people will grow. And so that's why we can glory in tribulations. And it goes right back to what Paul said about the Thessalonians. Uh, Your faith groweth exceedingly, and the charity of every one of you all toward each other aboundeth. Through these tribulations, God was building their patience, building their experience, building their hope, and in turn, finally, building their love. And that was coming full circle and bringing him glory and making a, a beautiful picture to those who are watching these tribulations from the outside. And it was encouraging those also who are going through it. So remember, is God just toward you and me? Oh, absolutely. Uh, through uh, troubles under God's watchful care, the Thessalonians grew and so will you and I. Point number two, under God's watchful care, fellow Christians were being encouraged as we go back to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, Paul goes on to say in verse 4, So that we ourselves glory in you in the churches of God. We're, we're boasting about you. This isn't a, an unrighteous boasting. This is just a, uh, something like the idea of drawing courage and encouragement from someone who's doing the right thing uh, through a problem or a trouble. So we glory, uh, our, so that we ourselves glory in you and the churches of God. We are, 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 are boasting about you to these churches and we're telling them uh, about your testimony and what you're going through and how you're responding to these things. For your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that ye endure. And this word persecutions isn't is only used about a handful of times in the New Testament, and the idea is always religious persecution. And I would just like to point out, uh, I always like to point this out, I don't want to ever get onto a high horse or put myself in a position that uh, is not just, and I don't want any of us to do that. Understand, none of us have faced what these Thessalonians were facing. Okay? Uh, Facebook persecution is not the same thing. Okay? <laughs> it is not the same thing. Uh, by any stretch of the imagination. There are people in Muslim countries who are going through what these... No one here has had their home taken away because they're a Christian. Um, I don't think anyone here has lost their job because they're a Christian. I don't think that's happened, but maybe it has. I know it has never happened with me. Um, no one here has had their family murdered because they're Christians. Okay, so we are not, have not ever faced what these people are facing. doesn't mean we won't, but it just means we have not. So let us be careful how we view ourselves but that's what Paul is talking about primarily. These pressures were religious persecutions. And uh, the tribulations, he says, that ye endure. They were a visual example of God's ability to keep and to impart peace. Lord, why does this have to happen to me? What are you doing through these things? Why is this pain in my life? Why is this pain in the life of someone I care about? Whatever the case may be. One thing that God will always do through these things, and this is consistent through Scripture, is that God encourages someone else through the problem that his grace brings you through. Okay? That is consistent in the Scripture. Consistent in Paul's life. Uh, we see that in David's life. 
We see it in the lives of even of the children of Israel. How many times did God want to draw the heathen to himself by delivering his people Israel? Numerous times, right? And when they wouldn't respond and do right and failed and went off and served idols and and God even told uh, David when he did wrong, by this thou hast given great occasion to the heathen to blaspheme. You could have been a good example to the heathen whom I'm trying to draw through the light that's supposed to be in you, but instead you gave him a reason to cuss my name. And that's, that's what makes it so bad. Okay, so through my trouble and through yours, whatever it may be, God will do, use it to help someone else. I mention that because, number one, it's a Bible principle. Number two, uh, it tends to make us less selfish when we are going through problems because it isn't just about me and the pressure that I feel. It's about what God is doing for someone else through the pressure. And it should motivate me and motivate you to go through that pressure with a Christ-like attitude, knowing that we are either adversely or positively affecting someone else, are we not? They were patient through their religious persecutions. Folks, no matter what happens, I know this is easier said than done, but no matter what happens, we can say truly with Paul, as he said in 2 Corinthians 4, persecuted, but not forsaken, cast down, but not destroyed. And that is always the case of the believer. Always the case of the believer. Okay? The world might say, well, that didn't work out so well for you. And we would reply to that, cast down, but not destroyed. God's doing something greater than, than, uh, than me through all of this. But think about what could happen had the Thessalonians not handled the pressure well. Had they... Um, gotten angry or bitter at God because bitterness is always a temptation whenever a trouble comes into our life bitterness towards someone bitterness and ultimately I think the bitterness is toward God I don't like what you're doing I don't want this to happen I think it should be different Uh, if we're all transparent that is exactly what our heart is literally saying if we would wipe away the candy coat of of I'm struggling right oftentimes it is I don't like what God is doing and I'm not saying that any kind of a struggle through a trouble is a rebellion. I'm not saying that by any means. But it is a very real temptation for every one of us to be bitter at God or angry when a trouble comes our way. So the Thessalonians could have responded that way, but they did not. But what if they had? And let's look at Second Timothy chapter 4, and let's see an example of how Paul, how Paul felt in a situation where people weren't doing what they should do in a time of trouble. I read this, and there's always this underlying tone of sadness. Yes, there's always the victory that prevails, but there's the, the human sadness that you can't miss in this writing. And here's Paul in the Mamertine prison, an old man. He's about to be beheaded under the reign of Nero. And it's probably winter. That's why he probably says some of the things that he does. And he's alone, and he's ready to go home. And there are some things that are weighing on him some things that he had hoped would have been different in the lives of those that he saw saved. Verse 9, Do thy diligence, he says to Timothy, to come shortly unto me. For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed unto Thessalonica. Cretans to Galatia, Titus unto Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Take Mark and bring him with thee, and for he is profitable to me for the ministry. Tychicus have I sent to Ephesus, the cloak that I left at Troas with Carpus, 
When thou comest, bring with me. It's probably cold. I don't know that for sure. And the books, but especially the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. The Lord reward him according to his works. Of whom be thou ware also, for he hath greatly withstood our words. At my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray God that it may not be laid to their charge. You think he was happy about all that? I don't think so. You know, and uh, quite the contrast of what we just read here in Second Thessalonians. And I, I personally, you know, I want to be the Second Thessalonian kind of person for other people. And when there's a problem in my life, I want that pressure to make me better, to draw me closer to the Lord so that others can experience that benefit as well. Because that's really where the rubber meets the road. That Christ-like concern for other people. And add to your, your faith all these things. And what are the last two? Brotherly kindness and the last one? Charity. And it's a charitable thing to want others to be helped and to be willing to go through a problem so that others can be helped. And so through, under God's watchful care, the God who is always just, fellow Christians were being encouraged. And lastly, under God's watchful care, the Thessalonians were being confirmed. Look at verse 5. Which is, what, what is the which is? It's, it's in, uh, inserted by the translators. The, the actual phrase is a manifest token. So uh, they put it in there for our understanding, and I appreciate that. It does help. The idea is well, all the tribulations and troubles he was just talking about, all the things that they were going through, which to the world's eyes would seem unjust. So what's God doing through all this? Well, it's actually a manifest token, an obvious token is the idea. You can't miss it. It's right there in your face. A manifest token of the righteous judgment of God. So God allowing these problems into your life and uh, through them growing your faith and growing your charity and growing your patience is actually a righteous thing. That ye may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God. Now beware. Here, if you were just doing a surface reading or didn't know much about the scriptures or were immature, you may walk away with the idea that you earn salvation or you earn the kingdom of heaven. That's not what he's saying. In fact, we know that Christ is the only one who confirm us, can confirm us, not our works. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. So that ye come behind, he says to the Corinthians, in no gift, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, who also shall confirm you. Okay, that's a passive thing. There, the action is being done to them. Not only is it passive, uh, but the idea is um, Christ is the one doing it, so only he can confirm. Who shall confirm you unto the end, that she may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay. So Christ is the one that confirms. I am accepted by God because of the shed blood of his son that I have received through faith. And when God looks at me, he sees a Christ's blood-covered sinner that is now washed white as snow. That's why Jesus says, I counsel thee to buy of me garments white and uh, buy of me these things and buy of me these things. And the idea is come to me by faith and I'll give you these things. And don't try to make them up on your own because you can't. Okay, so Christ is the one that confirms me. So we know the Bible doesn't contradict itself. So what's Paul saying? Well, the idea is through persecution, God was confirming the legitimacy of their salvation. If I can put it in another way, they were not being punished by God. Their persecutions were separating them from the world. And so through their persecutions, God was simply saying, look, this proves to a world. Okay, it doesn't prove to God. He's the blood of Christ is all God needs. But this proves to a watching world that you're mine. And through these things, I'm making a difference between you and the children of Satan. Okay? 
Remember how God made a difference with the children of Israel and the children of, the, of Egypt through the, the plagues? What did he do? He said there shall be no swarms of flies in the land of Goshen to the end that the Egyptians may know that I make a difference between you and them. Okay, roughly quoted. And so God, through these persecutions, was drawing the line. And notice also this little conjunction. He says uh, that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which ye also suffer. Okay, you're not suffering to obtain it. You're suffering because you're my child. And as a byproduct of that, you're also suffering the persecutions that the world brings. And I'm allowing these things to make it manifestly obvious that there is a difference between the children of the devil and the children of, um, of God. And so you say, well, Lord, why do these things come into my life? Well, part of the reason they come into my life and yours is because through the process, God is confirming something and making something a reality. And, uh, you know, we live in a sin-cursed earth. We live in a wicked world. We are sinners by nature. And unfortunately, I wish everything could just be sunshine and roses and no pain, but that won't happen until heaven. And so where there's good things happening, there's always pain involved because the flesh is wicked and must be put to death day by day, right? This old man must be continually put down his strength has been destroyed, according to Romans 6. His strength has been nullified. And now he, day by day, must be refused and subjected. And unfortunately, that process involves pain. And uh, tribulation involves pain. And God is confirming us through that and making it obvious to the world that there is a difference. Especially as the world looks on and sees you and I handle those problems well by the grace of God then the world is benefited. Now, what is the opposite of that? If we handle them like babies, or if we kick and scream, if we rebel, we say, well, none of this is worth it. We chuck it, and we get out of church, or we stop reading the scriptures, or we make God less important, whatever the case may be, then, of course, the world, now we've given them a cause to blaspheme. We are in the same boat as David was uh, when he sinned with Bathsheba. But uh, look at Luke chapter 6, if you would. Luke chapter 6. As we consider how persecutions separate you and me from the world and make it obvious to the world that there is something different about us. And surely there should be something different about us. Uh, we are not practicing relevant Christianity justified by a few Pauline verses taken out of context. Uh, we are living something different for the Lord. Blessed are ye, verse 22 of Luke 6, when men shall hate you, and when they shall separate you from their company. Now, this doesn't mean you're a loudmouth troublemaker, and I, I do want to point that out. And there are people who live as loudmouth troublemakers, and they think, well, everybody hates me, I must be godly. No, you're just arrogant and obnoxious, and that's why people hate you. Um, this is more the idea of you're living a quiet, godly life, right? Gentleness is being seen by men, your gentleness, your meekness, but your unwavering loyalty to Christ. That should be what makes men hate you, okay? uh, not your mouth. Daniel was hated by his fellow presidents, was he not? But Daniel went and he besought quietly and respectfully uh, the head of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. And we know how well that worked out for Daniel, it worked out very well. Uh, when they shall separate you from their company and shall reproach you and cast out your name as evil 
for the Son of Man's sake. Rejoice ye in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. For in the like manner did their fathers unto the prophets. And then verse 26, Woe unto you when all men shall speak well of you, for so did their fathers to the false prophets. Well, he's just so easy to get along. He never opposes anything. And, uh, you know, he's right in line with this, the new direction we have for the church and the new direction we have for the town. Or he's just, you know, he's all about making everything more acceptable to the, the new age movement. No, that's, that's where you draw the line. When people speak well of you in that sense, okay, well, then we have a problem. It doesn't mean that your coworker can't say you're a hard worker. You should be able to say that. It doesn't mean that your coworker can't say, well, you won't drink with us. Well, you should be able to say that. It doesn't mean why your coworker won't say, well, you don't have a foul mouth. Well, you should be able to say that. Okay. This is the idea of your coworker can't say, well, he just goes along with everything we want to do. But remember, we always take these stands with a meek and a quiet spirit. We take these stands with a spirit that is apt to teach, a spirit of gentleness, a spirit of moderation. Let your moderation, literally your gentleness, be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. The Lord is near. Okay. So as we wrap things up, is God just toward his children? Oh, absolutely. Uh, because under his watchful care, the Lord was growing the Thessalonians. He was encouraging fellow believers, and he was confirming his children. Uh, Jenny's home now, and it would appear that her home going is very, very near. And so I think primarily right now they are just uh, having family members in, and people are gathering around her bedside. They're singing. They're trying to make her departure into glory, um, something to be remembered in a very positive Christ-like light. But, you know, through this whole thing, think about it, how God has done all three of these things. Through this trial, this unimaginable trial of, of Nathan losing his soulmate, okay, God is definitely growing Pastor Dietrich through this. God is growing every believer at Crossroads Baptist Church. Now, how every believer responds, that's their business. But God's guiding hand is there to grow them. God has grown me across the country through this, uh, this whole trial and ordeal. And through this, God has brought comfort and encouragement to others. He's encouraged my soul as I see the godly behavior of Pastor Dietrich, his kids, uh, his brothers, his brother-in-law, numerous folks as they've gone through this, not one hint of bitterness, not one hint of resentment. Mourning? Oh, yes, absolutely. It's a fine balance. You know, only the Spirit of God can help us navigate that very difficult path of weep with them that do weep and rejoice with them that do rejoice. It's a difficult path to navigate, but the Spirit of God is the only one that can bring you through it. But as I've watched people navigate that path by His Spirit, I've been encouraged. Have I mourned for Him? Absolutely. But I've been encouraged. And at Jenny's bedside, we're seeing God do the very last thing. He's confirming His children and saying, you know what? Think about how the world would handle this. Think about how I and my flesh would handle this were I not filled by the Spirit of God. Here's how the world handles it. They mourn, they weep, they get angry, they get bitter, they go look for answers in places where there are no answers. They blame God. They never thanked Him before at all, but all of a sudden it's, everything's His fault. So they blame Him for everything. And then over here you've got a group of people singing praises beside Jenny. Right? And through that process, God is drawing that line and not saying, no, Nathan's not going to earn his way to heaven through this. 
but he's simply proving that he's my child by his heart attitude and response to these actions. He's simply proving I've already confirmed him and simply proving that he is worthy for the kingdom of God for which now he also is temporarily suffering. Okay. So we rejoice in tribulations, right? We rejoice in pressure because they work patience and patient works that, oh, that glorious experience. <laughs> Who wants to go back when they're 18? <laughs> I don't. I don't. I'm not making fun of young people. I'm just saying I don't want to be there again. I'm so glad for some experiences that have taught me that God is faithful. You know, his word tells me, and you think I'd be smart enough to believe it, but I'm so grateful for those experiences that say, yes, God is faithful. And experience works hope, and then hope works a greater love for God and others. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your justice. We thank you for your mercy. And uh, Lord, we thank you for making these realities Uh, in our life. We thank you that no matter what comes our way, they're for our good. And uh, Lord, we're grateful that we we do not have to view tribulations in the same way that the world does. And uh, we have a great hope in tribulation. We thank you for that. And uh, we do thank you, Lord, for allowing Jenny to come home. And we thank you that uh, you are there uh, with these precious folks and you're helping them through this. May your grace continue uh, to bring them through to her home going. And may you give wisdom and direction for the time that follows. And uh, Lord, I pray that no matter what is going on in our lives here, that you would help each and every one of us here, uh, each and every one of us who's watching online, to uh, receive these tribulations knowing that they work patience, and uh, knowing that that works experience, and knowing that that works hope, and knowing that that only builds uh, charity, a love for God. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.